Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I am your host, Tatiana Berenday, and today I am very delighted to have with me Gary Salyer, and we are going to be discussing how to mend a broken heart. Very important topic. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Gary Salyer. After his first divorce, he vowed that his next marriage would be different. So when his second marriage crumbled almost a decade later for nearly the same reasons, he was devastated. He felt like an utter and complete failure. But rather than give in, he was determined to find another way. He committed to not being that guy who bounced from marriage to marriage, never really learning anything. So he dedicated himself to doing the deep research about all things love. He read, researched, furthered his education in the field, talked to experts and to people he loved. But most of all, he did the deep transformational work that unlocked his heart and released his soul to love as he had always imagined. Love and how to make it lasting became his life's highest calling, not just for himself, but others. In so doing, he has developed a powerful and effective methodology to make it safe to love again for those who may have even given up hope. Based on a field of study called attachment theory, the science of intimate relationships, Dr. Salyer's insights have a profound and oftentimes immediate impact. Because of his innovative new approach that rewires brains for secure love, singles and couples experience deep, lasting shifts that happen in easy, natural ways. The author of Safe to Love Again, How to Release the Pain of Past Relationships and Create the Love You Deserve, Dr. Salyer also offers experiential, interactive programs through his Safe to Love Again workshop and Extraordinary Couples and Extraordinary Singles Retreats. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I love your bio because it reads like a story. And I love that. (laughs) Thank you, Tatiana. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. Hmm. So I'm going to, no one is exempt from our starter question. So I'm going to ask you to share with our audience what your superpowers are. Well, uh, my superpowers are, I'm able to feel deeply into people so I can feel the missing feelings that have determined their fate with love so I can give them back the more positive feelings and they can attract the love they want. Well, that's a very fascinating superpower. How exactly do you do that? How do you give someone back feelings that they have lost? Well, you know, there are four, we wanna, you know, there are four key feelings that everybody on the planet, when they feel loved, they feel. Um, and when they don't feel loved, then they feel something else. The, f- the key feelings I'm, I'm feeling for is do they have a right to feel welcomed with joy? <clears throat> Do they feel worthy and nourished in that relationship? Do they feel cherished and protected in that relationship or whoever they're choosing if they're single? And do they feel empowered with choice? And when you can, and when you listen into the story or how they're saying things or the patterns, and you can feel, wow, they, they keep attracting unwelcome or unworthy or uncherishing or disempowering, that's when things that's when people complain, I keep attracting Mr. and Ms. Wrong, or we keep having the same horrible argument, or we keep alienating each other couples. Those four feelings are driving things. So you want to listen in real carefully between the cracks of the story for 
what feeling is driving the story in the first place? If you get to the feeling, you're down to the main driver, so to speak. So this is interesting and correlates well with what I've also found in my work with clients. Um, and what I often find within the context of relationship is, is if someone is not feeling those things in relationship, they're not feeling those things for themselves outside of relationship to be fully feeling one's worth, to feel empowered, to feel um, agency in making choice in one's life. Do you find that to also be true? Yes. They also feel, yes, these things are deeply embedded, usually by the time we're one. And the and whatever shows up in love, whatever that feeling we actually learn from love, like we could either feel welcomed and worthy and cherished and empowered, or maybe one of the others like unwelcomed, unworthy, uncherished, undisempowered. Those feelings will will grow legs and walk out of relationships and love. And they rarely stay in the tiny, that little tidy corner of our lives called love. And they will work themselves in business. They'll work themselves out in health. They go everywhere. That's why sure. I said it was the operating system. Absolutely. Well, and there are people who equate love with God, so it makes a lot of sense that it would uh, ripple out everywhere if we're disconnected from that, that source of love. Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. What do you find, since we're talking about how to mend a broken heart here, what do you find to be one of the most common causes of heartbreak in your, in your work and in your study? What have you found? Gosh, heartbreak is <coughs> almost unique to everybody, the exact flavor, but there are patterns. Personally, I think there's one big one going on in our society. There's an epidemic, Tatiana, of unworthiness, not mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the rampant ghosting <clears throat> is playing havoc with people's ability to say, I'm worthy of having love. Um, I once spoke on a stage in Phoenix, and there was a young woman, 28, 32, and, and she just stands up and says, look, I'm just a young woman wanting to find, find her guy and settle down and raise a family. She goes, every time... It's happened like four or five times. I get to the third or fourth month. The guy looks at me and says, you know, baby, you know, there may be someone better out there. Uh, I've got to go back and start dating. And she goes, what am I? Chopped liver? And, you know, she looked like your all-American girl next door, you know. Uh, but here she was getting this, you know, this whole thing driven by there may be someone better out there. And people want to swipe left rather than swipe down and mm -hmm. get to somebody. Mm -hmm. and, and it was really chopped liver. That's just another way of saying all this internet dating, the downside is all those choices mean we're afraid of making commitments. And there may be someone better. And it's driving everybody to yeah. feel worthy. Yeah, and it's not only in the relationship arena, like you said, it's also in in business or you know, I mean you find it the grass is always greener, right? That's Well, I I just saw something on LinkedIn uh, that HR, you know, not it's not just ghosting that happens, you know. Um in in love, they're finding out that people are 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 just not showing up for uh job interviews. <coughs> and it's gone cultural. It's just gone totally AWOL out there. 
And I personally think, you know, ghosting, we know from uh, attachment science, is one of the most corrosive things you can do to someone's lifestyle. It's it's abusive is what it is. Uh, It creates abandonment stuff and every last one of us, even the most secure will feel that pinch of what what happened, why me, you know. Uh, and it's and it's. I think it's something in this culture we've got to have some common decency. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna talk more about that because I I really want to dive deeper into that. We do have to go to a quick break. Um, before we go to the break, will you tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about you and your work? Sure. Uh, you just go to my website www.garysalyer. Salyer is S-A-L-Y-E-R.com. Um, the book's there. It's also on Amazon. So just go to GarySalyer.com. Beautiful. So we're talking with Gary Salyer about how to mend a broken heart. More when we get back. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this one. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. All right, and we're back. So um, before the break, we're talking about this sort of ghosting epidemic that we've got going in our culture that um, is, I agree, a huge problem. Why do you think I have my own theories behind it. Why do you why do you think ghosting is is such a why why does it happen? Well, I I think there's there's two things. One is the obvious, you know, it's kind of a painful thing and it feels just and no one feels comfortable saying, you know, it was a really nice first or second date, but I don't think you're the one. Right? Mm-hmm. Because we tend to see it as rejecting where as, you know, the advice I give to my singles is you don't say, you know, uh Give them some love at first. You know, I appreciate this and this and this. And and, and and all that means is you're a wonderful person, but I'm not quite sure where the fit. But man, I, I, I saw some beautiful things in you and I just wish you all the best. You know, I think we, we see it as rejection when we could call it a celebration mm-hmm. of, that, of what we experienced for a date or two. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, to look and appreciate you know, how many times have you been on a first date and you heard about a new restaurant or you, someone talked about something, you go, wow, I'd never thought of it that way. So I think we've got that, that thing going on. But there's the other one that's kind of more subtle. And that is, we know that from attachment science that 50% of the population are wired to love and be loved. They're called secure. Uh, another 25% are what we call avoidant. They're, they're wired to be distant, to be dismissive, to be afraid of love and its commitments uh, or ever depending on somebody. And then there are the anxious who are afraid lo- love's going to go away. They can't lock it down enough. They're the ones that kind of say, where were you last night? Why didn't you text me? Well, that 25% for avoidance who want to get out of Dodge quick, who are afraid of being dependent on, they have needs for uh, love and attention, but they tone it down. In the internet and its anonymity, 
is the perfect place for them to be able to to go online. They know they want to have love, but then that little fear, remember the last time I depended on love or someone depended on me, fires off and their avoidance stuff shows up and then they ghost. And then I think it affects the whole culture. I think it's a it's this is what happened when avoidant a love styles got a prayer from the universe, so to speak, uh, of the anonymity, and then they just go back. And it's uh, it's a pernicious little thing because it's doing nobody any good. Now, you said that yeah, it was really interesting language you used. You said 50% of the population is wired for. Um, mm-hmm. Where does that wiring come from? The wiring that for all of, whether you're anxious, secure, or the first three years of life, during the first three life years, we are giving what I call six rights, or you could call them templates for love. You could also call them permission slips. And these six rights, permission slips, whether we get this permission slips or not, determine whether you feel secure, you, 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 you can love and be loved well, or whether you can't. The first one is a right to exist. That means I have a right to feel comfy, and uh, like the world is my oyster, I can be present in my body. I don't have to flee into my 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 head or intellectualism or spirituality because the world doesn't feel. So you feel welcomed with joy into life, and the world is cozy and warm. Then and there's. Now, so yeah. I'm just going to pause you for a second because how do these things get wired? I mean, I'm, I'm what I understand of attachment. Um, science has to do with parenting styles and sort of how how loving and caring your parents were for you during those first three years and how they responded to you um there's a but there's a lot in there and a lot of places um, i'm very cognizant because i know there's there's moms that listen to this show and i know there's a lot of mom shaming that can happen um <laughs> in our culture and you know we want to blame everything on our parents um so i'm 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 just I'm I'm aware of all of those those factors happening as this as we're having this conversation. But what are what are some of the things that parents do or don't do that contribute to feeling like you have a right to exist? Yeah, and I, I want to say I think moms get a bum deal, right? Totally. <laughs> yeah. There was a song back in the '70s or the '80s that said, and it was that every generation blames the one before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and uh, this got, you know, you know, it's true. A lot of things depend on that sort of maternal quality, but it's also mom and dad. I mean, I remember when my son was born and we said it was going to be absolutely equal. And then I found out that, uh, you know, when it came to breastfeeding, I was lacking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it wasn't going to happen. There was, she had a natural advantage or burden. <laughs> so it wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, and it really is. And I mean, some of the attachments, we, we don't want to over idealize what attachment is and how perfect parents have to be. Right. Uh, you know, Winnicott made us that this, there's something called the good enough mom and let's celebrate her. She doesn't have to be perfect for God's sake. But it is about the quality of the interaction between caregivers. Most times that's going to be a mom, but it's also dependent on fathers. And one of the things we know is the quality of care Coming from mothers, there's a direct correlation to how much emotional support she's getting from her, from the father. Mm-hmm. So 
if if a mother isn't good enough, you can then the father is there's a direct correlation. This is a unity. When she feels loved and cherished and supported, she shows up better. So it's a dual, it's a duality here. It's not just moms. The what's behind the scenes are dads that show up emotionally for mom and the child. Well, and I also want to actually say communities that show up for moms because it's not it sometimes can be a lot of pressure to put on a relationship to have just dad or partner be the one um, who is supposed to provide all of the support. I don't think that we're actually wired for the nuclear family. I think we're wired as communal creatures. And they say it takes a village to raise a child. And I absolutely believe that. I mean, you and I were talking a little bit before the interview about all the time that I have spent in different indigenous communities. And it's the family that makes it. Um, it's it's not we're not originally we weren't expected to just be mom and dad raising the child it was it was always grandma was there auntie was there um supporting the mom as well so i just want to i want to give a plug for that that it's not just dad or partner's job to support mom it's all of our jobs to support moms i love that point and you're absolutely true uh, they called it in, in, in attachment. They call it allo parenting, other parenting. Mm. You know, in in when ten thousand years ago, there was all this women's culture. It wasn't you know the whole family. You had the whole tribe coming in and being really cool with things and helping out, right? And yeah. and then somebody and then the industrial revolution. Somebody got this idea from hell. Let's take that woman who has these several children plugged into her, and it's. And she needs to support this. It's like taking a fish out of an ocean of support, and let's put her in a home all by herself. Yeah. And just, you know, and and then we wondered why barbiturates and drugs and depression rolled mm-hmm. through the fifties like a plague, <clears throat> and then the sixties blew up mm-hmm. uh, because no woman is meant to have that much coming out without an ocean of support. Um, yes. And we do need. I, you're absolutely right, man. I just love what you just said. Um, and it is the quality of those experiences that gives us these templates. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you don't have, you can get a right to exist from mom, dad, and anybody that gives it to you. My own mother wasn't particularly, like, for instance, I didn't get a great right to exist. Mom was so uh, looking forward to having a girl that my aunt told me I was dressed in pink for, <laughs> for six months. So that probably explains why I've always liked purple. (laughs) 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 Purple jacket here recently, you know, and now, but, uh, and so much so that she didn't name me for three weeks. Uh That's not exactly welcome with joy. Uh, And it wasn't until the state sent some people with a little cherry top out front uh, to the door. And she says, I refuse to. And they said, well, you either name the child or, We'll put you someplace where you have lots of time to think about names. Um, and then my aunt suggested a favorite movie star, so Gary Cooper and Dean Martin. Uh, now, if you think about that, you know, uh, I've done better than you would expect. And that's because I'm pretty sure my grandmother uh, took over for her mentally, um, you know, ill-prepared uh, daughter to mm-hmm. And I, because I know my grandmother gave me a lot of what my mother didn't. Mm-hmm. Right? Sort of the community thing you're talking right. about here. You know, thank God for, for my grandmother. And so, but I got enough, but when you're, but the primary caretaker was, so 
you know, not exactly welcoming with me. So some you could predict a PhD who will get into his head. <laughs> you could because that's it was easier to float above life than to be in that painful place where I could feel my emotions. Mm -hmm. Better to be with ideas than to be with feelings. Mm -hmm. Of course, that didn't work out so well in my first marriage. <laughs> or your second, it sounds like. <laughs> or my second one. Yes, I did not. Yes, I had a few more feelings after therapy, but I could. But I, a part of me didn't catch all the feelings, and it was still a learning curve. But that was a template I learned. Some other templates that audience members may hear is not a right to fully reach out to have your needs met. Where it's and then you become it's easier to give. Uh, then to take, and then you become resentful, or um, a missing uh, what I call a missing right to separate and belong. It's okay to be a me, to separate and be me, but you have the right to be in a we. You have the right to come back to like that community uh, or a, a partnership where you have a home port in their life, not one or the other, not the marble mate or the enmeshed mate, but you get to go out and explore and someone's got your back and they support your dreams in this beautiful, empowering we. Mm -hmm. Most times in couples, that gets what there's also a right to create your own experience. Somebody else doesn't have to be the, the standard. You get to be good and bad, strong and weak, the whole human gamut. And it's okay. That's what gives, that's all of what human experience about. It's okay to assert that's the fifth right to speak up, to have a voice, to have some choice, to have your wins in a relationship where you share influence. And the last light right is to love and be loved, not love or to love and not be loved back or to be loved and not to love back, but to have a full expression. And that one includes a sexual element. When we grow up later in life, uh, then it's the right to have passion and partnership. Uh, whenever you hear someone say, why can't the hot ones and the good ones be in the same package? You know, that's been split. So it's about a full bodied expression of right to love and be loved. That's mm -hmm. fully embodied sexually. Mm -hmm. Which we're all about on this show. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, we're talking about wiring and how these things get imprinted. But I also want to affirm for everyone who's listening, who's like, oh, I'm fucked because in my first three years of life, you know, I didn't get what I needed. This is rewirable, right? Um, you, can, you can redesign these things. So how do you guide people to, to do that rewiring? Okay. The first thing I want to say, when people hear that, go, oh, my God, I'm screwed, right? <laughs> My, something is wrong with my brain. No, actually, your brain took the very, very best deal possible. Mm -hmm. And I love those missing lines because at one point in time, the brain did the best deal to keep that person's sanity on the planet. And it's the only bug in the program is the brain and that, that uh, doesn't have really an automatic calendaring system. There's no expiration dates for these security memos, so to speak. And all we got to do is go in there find the flavor of safety that was missing so that the brain pulled that right off the, the, the plate, so to speak, and, and give it an expiration date. And the brain will gladly take a better deal. It always takes the best deal. We just got to give it the, the natural feelings and a sense of safety. <clears throat> That's why I called the book Safe to Love Again. And then your brain is off to the races, choosing better love, better partners, creating better patterns. So nobody's wrong out there. You know, in fact, um, 
one of the more poignant things happened a couple of months ago. I was speaking at an event and a friend who had read the book saw a friend and says, oh, come on over here. Here's Dr. Gary. He just wrote a book on love and relationships. And I swear to God, Tatiana, this woman, when she heard love and relationships, turned white as a sheet, mm. stepped back, her head lowered, her shoulders lowered, and she goes, oh, no, not another book to tell me how wrong I am. Mm. And it's not that. We love that part that said it wasn't safe to, to reach out because maybe the we wasn't so or it wasn't safe to have my needs met because it's working so hard for you. And, and what I do is I just go in and find the exact flavor of safety that that little cute little part was working for. And if we give it that flavor of safety and give it that feeling of welcomed or worthy or cherished, and it's safe to feel any of those feelings. Oh, you know, it's it's like any kid if you give them a you know banana. Um, with a cherry on top, they're going to take it. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, yeah, and I, I, I mean, I, I love, I love that you do that, and I can see why your work is so effective because I, I, I have found that to be one of the most effective things, and in, in my work with clients as well. To, you know, we we can get really mad at these parts and pieces that we judge as keeping us separate or causing all the problems for us, but those parts didn't originate out of nowhere; like they came to protect us. Um, that's where they got, they got formed early on as protective mechanisms. And so to, to offer some appreciation and gratitude for this piece that was really trying to take such good care of you and did it in the only way it knew how, I think is so crucial for healing that piece. It is. Should I give you an, an example? So the yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I once worked a couple where, um, she didn't have much right to feel cherished and protected because she, she had to leave. She left uh, her family because of all the abuse at 16 and kept on walking, mm -hmm. right? Whereas for him, he didn't have much of a right to create his own experience. Uh, a narcissistic mother that was always uh, comparing him to his older brother, right? Now, the interesting thing is their, their big thing was he would just go off and he was zealously defend. This is this is you're not stepping into me. This is my view. You're wrong. You don't understand me. And he would make all sorts of decisions <clears throat> that weren't good for her, uh, but good for him. And he stayed on his map, so to speak, totally defending. You know, you don't get my uniqueness. Uh, so one day, and I noticed that he hardly ever listens to her. He just, it, everything, he can't stay with her. He can't step into her. He always has to go back to himself, which is driving her nuts. No, mm -hmm. Nobody feels a tune there. So one day, I get some rope out. And I, I have these two circles on the floor. And I have, there's a one for me, just, just me being this person, right? And then there's, uh, and then there's one for, uh, for her. Mm -hmm. I have her, uh, at one point, I have him just be himself, and then I have her step into his, his circle so that she can feel into him what it's like to be felt into. And at that moment, he goes totally white, and it's the most, and, and now I'm getting all the defenses. I go, what's going on? Because it's about, uh, her switching into him, and I go, "What's going on?" She goes, "He goes, oh my god." He says, "I get it." He says, "This is so scary. 
Mm. Because all my mother ever did was swap, step inside of me and swap me out for my brother. Mm. No wonder he's jealously guarding against intimacy. Mm-hmm. So when we work with that little one right there, right? And uh, I had her step out and we worked with that little one, giving her him back the flavor. It's safe, you know, giving her uh, w- what we call re-imprinting. And then I had her step back in. There was this beautiful, and you could see him just relaxing. It was the first time he truly ever let, him, let her in. The next session, he is telling me, he says, you know, for the first time, I began, I was out making decisions and I stopped myself and I said, wait a minute, what about her? Mm-hmm. Is this to protect her? And, and they came in and says, can we do that again? <laughs> <laughs> and it was the first time because now when he's safe, that he knows that she's going to step in and not, uh, you know, disprotect him, you know, you know that he's, she's going to cherish just him. Suddenly, she can now he can cherish her, he can protect her, and now she's getting what she wants. Now they start spiraling up. This is how I work with couples, and this, and it's that sort of way. Now, at one point in time, I guarantee you his defenses against intimacy were the very best deal. Well, who wants to get swapped out, <laughs> right? right? Right, yeah, yeah, not cool at all. So, and, and he was doing it for the most natural reasons. And once he got safe, and we also gave her some safety back about belonging, um, and giving back some a few skills, that couple went spiraling upwards. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to watch them developing intimacy after all these years, real intimacy, stepping into each other. Mm-hmm. Yes, because real intimacy starts way before you get in the bed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And... You know, they they always uh, sex was not their problem, but the the but it was but it got to the place after a while when you know that she goes, I'm just you know I'm getting tired of this experience because I want more outside the bedroom. Yeah. Right? And uh, uh, and that's just an example. Now that's a very exact flavor. That's just for him, right? Uh, and yet, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening right now who can relate to that. Yeah. For other people that it might have been, you know, gosh, you know, if I got seen, then I got a hit against walls. I don't, so there's a part that doesn't want to be a, a part of a we for that reason. I've mm-hmm. seen that too. So, but whatever the reason is, just notice that some part of you took the best deal available, but it's not working now. The same way in my first marriage, I went and got two degrees in college to make sure I would never be divorced. I didn't want to be a divorce like everybody in the family, but no one ever healed that missing right to be in my body and to be, have my feelings. So, and I could never understand when my first wife said, I feel lonely. I loved her. I just loved her from a very disconnected place because it was way better to be disconnected than to be connected to a borderline mother. And, mm-hmm. and without that safety uh, memo being updated, uh, at one point in time, all the great intellectual ability to understand family systems and psychology did, did not make her feel loved. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I look back uh, and I get it. You know, in fact, uh, you know, we've been divorced some time. And a few years ago, I was writing the book and I was telling everybody at a you know, we're we're meeting at my son's home for for Christmas. And she gives me this look 
And I looked at her and I said, yeah, I know. Learned it 30 years too late. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, but, you know, we can all become the most loving versions of ourselves and we can change our fate. That's the point. All this is adaptable. Uh, you can you can design your experience with love. You don't have to be at the whims of whatever your mother or sometimes later experiences. Sometimes early, like early partners can do this too, okay? We have the right to create our own experience. It's a yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Yes. And so, okay, so you gave us this beautiful example of, of couples. What about someone who's single? What about someone who's like, Single and has basically given up on love. Okay. Like in the book, I talk about Gwen. Gwen was one of my more interesting clients many years ago. She, she came to me, a financial planner. She goes, I keep attracting these low performers. <laughs> like they were stocks. I love some of the metaphors, right? Mm-hmm. And, but, and she had this, she goes, she goes, I think my picker's in on me. She goes, I think it's got it against me. She goes, I don't know what's going on, but I keep being attracted to married men. She goes, even when I'm trying very hard, they turn out to be married and I don't get that, right? Now, you know, and, you know, that was a little before Tinder. Now, I can tell you that a British study, you know, did a study and found out that 42% of men on, on um, uh, Tinder are married. So. Oh. Yeah, so it's true. You can find a husband on Tinder, just uh, someone else. else's. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yes. Now, so when we got down to this, what was going on? And and it, and then she would find out, and she was she didn't know whether to be more upset with them or her. Um, and she goes, "How do I change this?" Well, early in life, she had a mother that was pretty narcissistic, always saying, oh, honey, you know, you're being selfish. Quit being, this is not about you. Selfish, every time she'd reach out, selfish, selfish, selfish. But the big imprint, you know, after mother and dad divorced, uh, the father was resentful of his childcare payments. And on a weekend that dad had the little one, she was like nine maybe, they, they're walking out on the street, and she sees an ice cream shop. Says, Dad, can we get an ice cream cone? And I guess out of his own resentment, I think he had this one stage, he pulls a wad of $100 bills out of his pockets and says, this, this is what you cost me every month. You don't deserve ice cream. Whew. Wow. Never reach out to a man again. So she got the feeling, the feeling I'm unworthy from both. What's the best way to not get your needs met as a woman? Married men. This, the f- reference feeling of I'm unworthy, the part of our brain that, that does attraction gets wind of that. And so suddenly she's attracted to men who can give her the experience she has the rights for. Unworthy. And mark that down if you're listening. You are always having the experience you have the rights for. That reference feeling is dictated. So when we worked on getting her to feel worthy, really, really worthy. Suddenly, she goes, my God, there are actually single men out there. (laughs) And they were always there, but her picker was using a reference feeling of unworthy. This is why we got to swap out the feeling. The feeling is the GPS. If If someone has got maybe a feeling of 
disempowered, they'll find someone who is more disempowering, who is a dominator or doesn't share influence or passive aggressive or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And it's amazing because it really does work like this. I mean, it's not, it sounds like hoodoo or something, you know, but it's where we are emitting signals, whether we're cognizant of it or not based on these beliefs or as you call them rights that we're, that we're carrying. I mean, that's. Yeah. And every belief, uh, you know, you hear a lot about limiting beliefs. Every limiting belief <clears throat> comes on at three when the prefrontal cortex comes on, but most of these rights are put in before. So they're all explaining what's in there. So if you work with just the belief, you know, you've got to get the feeling <clears throat> that the belief is explaining. Yes. It really is for feelings. There was a part of me that when I first started this, I was a little, I still had that missing right to exist. And I said, there's got to be a logical reason that therapy, uh, you know, fails and it manages pain versus really transforms. And the shock of my life was going, you're kidding me. It's for feelings, feelings. Did you say feelings? <laughs> <laughs> you, mean, you mean women were right? <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> and, you know, it really is. It's for feelings. Men have the same four feelings. Now, we might not say cherished and protected, but I'll bet you'll say honored or, or, or appreciated and someone's got my back. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. And that, I mean, that we, we take it even a step further here at SP in the work that we do with, with our clients. And in, in we really believe in reminding people who they are fundamentally at the core, which everyone at the core is, is a, is a precious child of, of the universe of the creator. And so we're, we're all worthy and cherished and welcome um because of that no no one no one has has that over anyone else in that playing field yes these rights uh i got it from near reiki and developmental psychology they're called organismic rights yeah mm. orgasmic but organismic <laughs> <laughs> i heard that one misspelled it <laughs> get that out right i want one of those <laughs> it's good to, good to clarify on this show because i'm sure we'll have an episode about orgasmic rights at some point too in so. <laughs> your born with these rights you don't you don't have to des- do something to deserve you are born the same way and the amoeba the amoeba does not ask gosh oh, should i take any nutrients today it has a right to have its needs met it has a right to exist yeah. And in terms of your show, since we're, you know, your show is a lot on sex and, you know, and love, uh, would it be appropriate to tell you one of the stories in the book about how, this, how these rights affect sexuality? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So um, uh, Sabrina was the, uh, uh, she came to me as uh, 15 years married. And she said, happily married right? House in the Burbs, three kids, very professional woman. And when she sits down in the office, she looks, she sits down on the couch for couples. <laughs> and she puts her, 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 you know, her, her purse down and looks beside her like something's missing. Mm-hmm. And she looks up to me and she, she goes, my husband can't find out about this. He says, she goes, I have a wonderful husband who is the love of my life. Uh, I have beautiful children, and I'm a happily married woman. Except every six months since the beginning of the marriage, 
I just have to go out and have an affair. You know, we just hook up four or five times over a couple of years. And then I come back to being Miss Susie Homemaker. And she goes, and if I don't find out why I'm driven to do this, she goes, I'm going to lose everything I have. And then she just breaks down in tears. And then she, when she comes, she goes, it's not what you might think. She goes, there's nothing wrong with my husband in bed. He will do anything I ask him for. He says, I just can't lose it with him like I can these other men. You know, I just can't enjoy my husband like I do these men that don't mean anything. Now, the key word here is I can't enjoy my husband. Mm-hmm. So this is what's called a split right to love and be loved. The hot, hot sex and hot part uh, and partnership can't be in the same package for her, right? Uh, so when we, but the word I can't enjoy him, I go, where is this phrase coming from? So we track it back all the way back to when she's three and four, and her mother and dad don't have a really, really great relationship, and so the father has more of an emotional connection with her. Not in any inappropriate way at all. She's what I call a third wheel in the relationship. She gets the third wheel syndrome, right? So love needs a third wheel. Many people who have affairs have this third wheel template that was put in, right? And one day, the the father enrolls her in a beauty pageant, gets her a beautiful red dress, and takes her on to this beauty pageant. The mom gets jealous that, hey, my husband gets attention from my husband that I can't get. And when she came back in, the mom looks at the little one and says, did you enjoy daddy today? Did you enjoy daddy today? And every time they went out, she got the phrase, did you enjoy daddy? So what she found out was if I enjoy a man, I lose the love of a mother. That's a no-win scenario for a little one. So she stopped enjoying her father who loved her. Now there's a split. I can't, the template then becomes, I can't enjoy a man who loves me. Now, when we went back and healed that with some like re-imprinting and gave her back a full right to love and be loved, to to be able to enjoy the man who loves you, things just super took off. In fact, at that point, she wanted to uh, bring her husband in and fully confess. And he was every bit the prince of a man. I can still remember him saying, says, this explains so much. Mm. I always wondered why we were making love, that there was this sadness in her eyes, right? They were, it didn't take that much work through, but there was some initial hurt, obviously. And I can still remember they walked out the last time. He's about 10 feet out the door and he stops, turns back and says, I'm really going to enjoy oh, you know, <laughs> the next 15 years because um, I guess things were so radically different in bed. <laughs> that he, he was beginning to wonder what had happened. <laughs> and he says, I'm really going to enjoy the next 15 years. <laughs> now, that's, you know, without adding any techniques or taunts or anything, it was just unlocking it's safe to enjoy a man who loves you. And miracles uh, for their intimacy life. That's, and, but we had to go back, reset the safety. And give her back all that feeling is that I'm lovable and I'm, and I'm worthy of enjoying. This is the deep work. Mm-hmm. 
That's the deep work. Yes. Yes. And thank you. Thank you for doing it and for doing it with so many people and doing it so well. Um, I, I really want to, I, I want to acknowledge you for taking the time out of your day to come on our show today. I really appreciated this conversation. I'm sure our audience has gotten a ton from it. Um, is there anything before we sign off that you want to make sure that our audience hears? Yeah. Well, one thing I want to give a big shout out to you, Tatiana. Uh, you have such a beautiful, connected, soulful way of being. I mean, I, I'm okay. sure you're, I, I have just, I have really felt more connected in this podcast. There's a beautiful soul about you. And I just want to say, I see you. Really. Thank adore. you. Thank you so much. Uh, the only other thing is, you know, um, you know, the book is on Amazon, Safe to Love Again. It's got a beautiful picture of a heart, a heart balloon rising above clouds. It's also on my website. And if you, if you like more of these insights, if you sign up for the love notes, uh, that's on the first page. Uh, every week, I just have an email that goes out that's just about giving value. I'm actually talking about these four feelings as gateways to love coming up. In the, so go to the website um, and uh, sign up for the love notes. And read the book. It's it's life changing. Well, I believe it. I believe it after everything that you've shared. Thank you again so much. And to our listeners, thank you. Uh, the show wouldn't be here without you. Uh, so take what you have learned today and go apply it. And until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many, many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.